Welcome to the Washed Up Journalist podcast. Today's episode is again brought to you by Legacy Preservation. Visit LegacyPreservation.com to learn more about their personal history services. We did something a little bit different today. I invited back a few guests from Season 1, James Fogarty and John Prescott, to discuss some of our biggest pet peeves in the world of journalism. And we also spent a few minutes at the outset uh, discussing the Iowa caucus and how TV news stations reported uh, on the unexpected non-results of that night. I think you'll find it fun. At least I hope you do. Uh, And again, it's a bit of a departure from our normal routine, but I hope you keep listening. Uh, And we have a lot more planned for 2020. So without further ado, here's Washed Up Journalists. Okay, welcome to Washed Up Journalists, and we have a star-studded team of of guests, kind of star-studded today, from episode one of season one, James Fogarty. Hi. And from episode four of season one, John Prescott. Hello. So we thought we would today take things a little bit off the usual, off the rails a little bit, and talk about some of our uh, pet peeves in the journalism industry. Um, but before we get to that, I, just a real quick going around the table here. Uh, we're recording this the night after the Iowa caucus that wasn't, and we were just chatting briefly before we started to record, and we all seem to agree that the folks on TV news last night actually handled the curveball of no results pretty well. What do you think about all that? Just imagine being put in a room told to talk for five hours, and what you're supposed to talk about never happened. And I think every one of the networks did a spectacular job of making what was a horrendous mess into something interesting. That's when they do their best is when something, when you throw them a curveball, and all of a sudden the story isn't what it seems to be, and there's a bigger story that breaks through. So it's, uh, uh, I would call it a, uh, I would have, my headline would have been, well, it was a photo finish, zero to zero to zero, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> yeah, it was. It, it still is, and this is uh, just it was the afternoon of the day after the caucus. We just read that uh, online. I'm assuming this is accurate if it appeared on the internet. Um, that the uh, the Iowa Democratic Party are going to have results trickling out by five o'clock Eastern. They didn't promise the full field of results, just some of them. So, um, well, we'll just have to stay on the air for five hours until we get it then. I it, guess that's how it works, isn't I, it? Last night, I was kind of flipping, I'd say, between about four different stations from, say, 7 o'clock Central to about 11 o'clock. Not constantly, but off and on. And it was interesting watching. So in the first couple hours, there's kind of this anticipation building of, okay, any minute now, we're going to start seeing results trickle in. And then it didn't happen. And then statewide results. Statewide results. And then you start to see, uh, you know, some of these talking heads get to the point of where it looked like their heads were going to explode on the air because they were running out of material and didn't know where to go next. And then I noticed when it became apparent that either the results were not going to show up last night in any way, shape, or form, or they were only going to get a piece of those results, it felt like they all kind of pivoted and basically uh, took to task the the process last night, whether it was this new app with the technology or this business of reporting three sets of results or or metrics, but they all kind of seemed to pivot roughly about the same time. And I thought that was some of the best part of the evening was was listening to them take the folks in Iowa to task a little bit. Not that I want to see our our good friends in Iowa taken to task, but they needed to be 
held responsible, so to speak, for the air of what was last night, don't you think? Around 9.20 p.m., it occurred to just about everybody on the air that what they were sent to do was not going to happen. And from there on, it, uh, it a couple of the stations... That's that when it got to be fun. It got to be fun because the, the thing that started coming out very naturally was their humor and their wit. And uh, <clears throat> that, was, that was quite pleasing to see. I think John hit it on the head a few seconds ago when he said that that's when they were at their best or in their element when essentially it becomes breaking news. The story they thought they were going to tell didn't materialize, but they had another one to tell. And it was certainly... <sighs> There's, uh, it was almost unbelievable because this is what puts, I mean, Iowa makes money from these, uh, this early campaign stuff, and you, you really think they would have gotten it right, but, uh, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm not a fan of caucuses. I think the secret ballot is something that we fought for, but, you know, if we're going to do caucuses, do we do them because they're quaint, and if they are, why not just get the folks in the room Go to your candidates, have a discussion, everybody gets to a share, and then you vote and turn it in. It seems like, you know, and as I recall, they used to call into their county chairs. The county chairs would call in so that you only had 99 phone calls, which you can do if instead, you do it right. Instead of 1,700. Instead of 1,700. And when you say they vote, you mean mark a piece of paper in secret? Or do you mean... Oh, I think raise your hands is what the, the paper used to be when the, the chair of the each caucus used to say, raise your hands, and then he'd write down, you know, Al Smith, 23 votes, uh, and, and that, was the, that was the paper trail. But now they have these cards and this business of uh, who's viable, and uh, uh, that strikes me, strikes me as being just way too complicated. Cars and letters from people I don't even know. Yeah, three hours to go and, and, and attend a caucus versus even if you've got a line, maybe 20 minutes to, to stand in line and vote. If, if you got beamed into Iowa last night from another planet and, and you landed somewhere between Ames and Des Moines into one of these things and, they, and you were told, this is how we decide who we're going to elect for our, the next leader of our country you would think it's outrageous. Like, it looks like a disorganized gym class. I mean, it's interesting because of that, but it just seems like loony. I, I, I think CNN did a great job, but I remember I was flipped around. Major Garrett on CBS, they were, he said, the roadies are tearing down the, the, the set, and, uh, and we still don't know how the play ended. Uh, they, were, they were piling up chairs behind one of the networks. Bam, 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 bam. While, while they were still... Discussing what might happen and never did. It's, well, anyway, it was it was it was fun. It's part of the, what what makes politics uh, uh, world's greatest spectator sport, at least in this country. And I think it's it's one of those nights that makes breaking news fun again. Again, they didn't cover the story necessarily. And it's not breaking news where anybody's going to live or die by it. It's right. breaking news that's important. And interesting, and everybody's got a stake in it, and yet you can stand back a foot and say, wow, <laughs> isn't that interesting? So, um, all right, we'll transition from the, the Iowa caucus that wasn't to um, some of our pet peeves. There's one we're going to get to right up front because it's been a subject of, of great, uh, I guess, controversy uh, for Mr. Fogarty here for years. Um, I'm going to utter the phrase addictive telescopic syndrome, and then, Jim, I want you to tell us what in the hell that even means and why it's a pet peeve and what it has to do with journalism. It started in about 1905 or so when people started putting words together that were never designed to be put together. Such and, as? And everybody's going to laugh at me on this one, but it started with things like football. 
If you look at newspapers before 1905 or so, it was two words, and so was basketball. And so, and then all, then they, we start joining it all together, and then we take other words and combine them in ridiculous formations, and that is the basis of my addictive telescopic syndrome, which comes from a man by the name of Jim Clemen. He came up with the phrase. And Clemen was a great writer. He was also. a great writer. Um, the uh, the interesting thing is this all came up, and it ties into the Iowa caucuses because. Uh, one of the writers, uh, local for the local daily here, uh, talked about hot dish, which they were serving at Amy Klobuchar's events. And Minnesota hot dish, one word or two. Well, uh, the the person who wrote the story for the local daily uh, wrote it as one word. And Fogarty went screaming into the uh, into the as he often does. He did a soliloquy on it, and we all said. And I thought maybe hot dish was one word, but. We looked it up, and it's and even in Minnesota, it seems to be the preferred is two words. So the, the folks in Minnesota still get it right. Fogarty, the, the, the signs on United Airline aircraft, not too many decades ago, was airline, two words. Now it's airline. This is the danger because then then what comes next? Airline food, maybe that's one word. Airline food brought by mechanics uh, could end up being. Well, where are we going to stop? Putting all of these words together when they were never designed to be there. I knew he, this would be a big one. When the hot dish story broke, he he texted me yeah. at like midnight one night with the phrase hot dish surrounded by quotation marks. And I knew this would be perfect for the Pet Peeves episode because it's... it's uh, give me some more... Now, if, there, if there's a company called Hot Dish and it's one word, fine. But, but you don't just, out of the blue, tack things together that should be separate. And yet we do. Well, I don't. But it's wrong, and you don't do it for sure. Of course not. There you go. So basketball, football, baseball. <laughs> Soccer ball is two words. Soccer ball is two words. Yeah. Uh, pool ball is two words. Billiard ball is two <laughs> words. I mean, let's get them crammed together if that's what we're going to do, but or not. Is hot dish the most egregious abuse of, of the phenomenon, or is there... Is well, there have been some others, and at the moment, uh, my brain is empty on it, but I see them all the time, but particularly in newspapers and some magazines. Hot dish. There you go. Keep your words separate. I, see, I, I differ. I, I can live with, I don't like hot dish, but I can live with football and basketball. We're that's stuck because with football and yeah, basketball. Because since 1905, we've been dealing with it is, is one word. And, so, and I'm the only one at this table that was born after 1905, and so that was, that was a subtle dig. Something. Thank you very much. You guys, you're not that old. Um, all right, well, I think addictive telescopic syndrome is an excellent uh, pet peeve to make the... Uh, Make the roster here. Mr. Prescott, what is your... Uh, and by the way, we so for our listeners, we jotted a few of these down uh, over lunch here about an hour ago. And I, uh, I watched a fair amount of TV and, and news because I was in the business for many years. And so I, I see things today, and it possibly they were when I was even in the business, but I didn't notice them because I was always right. But misspellings, I mean, there was a, a, a local station that did a, a sheriff's cruiser was being dedicated because it was as a dedication, uh, as a commemorative cruiser for the names of, of uh, police, uh, law enforcement officers all over it, a commemorative cruiser, something like that. And they said they always put a Chiron, uh, you know, character generator underneath to tell you what story you're watching. And in this case, it said... Uh, uh, something like Honor Cruiser Unveiled. Not unveiled, unveiled, U-N-V-E-L-D. And you see that kind of stuff, and you say, 
huh, that's not right. <laughs> and doesn't anybody proofread? And it's, it's other, other very simple things. You look at them and you, you, what's missing uh, is the editing process. And the editing process has been uh, missing since we started to do live television. It took the editing out of television news when you went live. And I think we missed that. I'm looking at the, the wall behind us has a, on the wall, there's a, some sort of thing clipped from a, of a newspaper or a magazine. It says excellence in proofreading. What's the nature of that one? What did they misspell? Oh, excellence. You got a C in there. No, I know that, but, I know, but what's in the ad itself? It was. There's some sort of advertisement here in front of us. We're scanning for the air. We found it at one point. We might have to edit, edit this part out if we don't find the... Uh, well, while you're... Oh, do- it's from an ad that says best... The ad says best insulted for instead of insulation. It's best insulted. Best insulted. <laughs> so I, I, I there will- was actually uh, in the old... In the old uh, the, the, uh, the Sun paper for off at Air Force Base, which did, I forget about, they, they passed a, a, a test that offered an inspection, and it spelled Offit given rating of excellence. Excellent. And the word excellent in the headline was misspelled, and it was a big headline. That's, so that's the kind of stuff. I, I will confess, when, we were, when I was jotting down the notes of the, some of the pet peeves we wanted to talk about, for the episode, I, I got to uh, the word misspellings, and I said to John, misspellings, that's one S or two. So <laughs> I, I guess one thing about misspellings, I would say generally they're honest mistakes. Um, not to excuse them in this business, certainly. Well, these days of the Internet, a lot of them are not honest mistakes. They are lifelong wretched mistakes that somebody is going to have to take an active uh, effort to, to, to ch- change their thinking on, really. I mean, it... it Everything's done with the thumbs now at 500 miles an hour on a, on a, a, a phone. And, um, and then you get uh, the spell check that automatically corrects you. Spell, spell check should be I know it's, eliminated it, from the society. What, what are you talking about? There, there, or there? That's right. There are many of these things. I'll go with, so my lead-off topic is, um, oh, yeah, this one I'll probably get some pushback on. Uh, I'm going to call it the talk about culture. I I think you see it sometimes in um, political press conferences or interviews. I'd say more so you see it in sports. And it happens when a reporter will ask a coach um, in a post-game news conference, coach, talk about the third quarter. Like, what are you supposed to do with that? Well, the third, I mean, it comes between the second quarter and the fourth quarter. What else do you want to know? Like, they're, they're looking for something quotable. And part of it might be this culture that in sports that we've created where nothing really uh, important gets said. I mean, we do cliches upon cliches upon cliches. But I yeah, just or, or just the, the, the ask a specific question about the third quarter. Did did Flabotnik uh, uh, really screw up on that uh, forward pass? And and uh, and then the answer is yep. Next question. <laughs> Next question. And that's probably the counterpoint. So is it is a counterpoint, but I, I tell you, I in doing industrials at Union at a, uh, a major transportation company, I learned that when you wanted somebody to describe their job, uh, that was a, a good tactic to use. Tell me about what you're doing here. But see, and he, they'll and they'll they'll give you they'll go back to the beginning and they'll take you through the process. 
piece yeah. by piece. And I know it's a small difference, but I could even live with tell me about what you do here way more than talk about. Talk about. Talk about to me just feels, it's like it's become a cliche. So that could become semantics, but I, sure. I see your point on that. Sure. And again, it's one of those, it's probably a true pet peeve because in the grand scheme, it, you know, it's just. And you watch a, enough sports and it happens enough. It grinds it, on it me. It grinds on me. It grinds on me. But fair counterpoint. New huh? language must be unveiled. <laughs> unveiled upon us, yes. Uh, Jim, what else I'm you got? I'm shocked. You're shocked? Well, I'm, I'm shocked. I, it, I think it's terrible. I, I think I, it's a horrific. I, I'm shocked at the horrific, unbelievable, horrifying. That's what's happening to me every day when I watch television, television news. The tragic accident. And I think it all started with the same uh, advisor that they hired 30 years ago to insert themselves into the news and tell me what is shocking and horrifying. I don't want to know it. I, you tell me what happened, and I, and I will tell you whether or not I am horrified or shocked. Just say, yeah, the, the, the tornado hit the town. We know that. What? That's a fact. But if it was a horrific tornado that hit the town, is that more or less horrific than the one that hit it three years ago? Well, if you put me in charge um, of any local newsroom, uh, any newsroom anywhere, I, I would be their, their worst nightmare because I would put a temporary 78-year ban on well, words such as this, unbelievable, horrific, shocking, or any of those other things. This they, gets back into a very basic uh, of reporting that I think we all learned at one point at the time. Don't tell me what you think. Don't tell me how you feel. Tell me what you know. What what is provable? What you know? A, a major uh, if storm hit Omaha. Okay, if it's major, how come it's more? Worse, better, or worse than, or worse than something that happened. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, using those, you know, being the modifiers is, is not good if, in a lot of cases. Well, let me put you both on the spot with shocking because this is kind of near and dear to where we're at. This just a week ago was the uh, the I'm going to call it tragic Kobe Bryant helicopter um, yeah. crash. Okay, that, that was shocking. Is that shocking? But I want to have somebody. The reporter it doesn't tell us that. The reporter finds somebody who was there, who saw it, who said it was shocking. You got it. So a witness on the you scene. You don't tell me how I'm feeling about okay. it. Okay. Okay, John, you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I do. I I think uh, uh, it, it's also, and this this is another thing I saw that kind of peeved me a bit. Uh, when someone was reporting on the uh, event and said, and, and you know, with things breaking, it's, you can excuse it for that reason, but all of the survivors were killed when it, and and it's, <laughs> yeah. it's one of those things you right. just say, huh, okay. Let, let's how does let's that go work? back to the one where everybody knew where they were standing. Easy for me to see I wasn't out there. You <laughs> know, I, I didn't have to do that live. So I mean, But I our generation, we all know where we were standing in the Kennedy assassination. I can tell you the day, the hour, the, what it smelled like, everything. And we had a whole generation of Floyd Calbers and John Chancellors and everything else who covered that entire unbelievable, shocking uh, series of events over three or four days, four days, and not one of them ever used one of those words. Yeah. Uh, was it John Chancellor who said, came on, took his glasses off and said... That's Cronkite. Cronkite, okay. And he said, what, President Kennedy died at 1.24 p.m. Yeah, blah, exactly. Blah, blah. He didn't say it was horrific. He didn't say it was shocking. He didn't say well, well, it was a better day. I decided when it was shocking. Mm -hmm. I, I cannot argue that. Um, it's, it's another... Uh, there was just how things evolved in in the business and it's not a 
It's again, it's in one one hand understandable. Here's one thing that gets me about weather stuff: is when people get mad at the guys who stand out in the hurricanes. You know, why do they have to stand out in the hurricanes and get blown away? And uh, why not just report on how many miles an hour it was and this, that, and the other thing? And I guess I fall on the on the side of. They're out there do showing you how bad it is. You, you don't forget the guy hanging onto the tree and being blown sideways as he's telling you how bad the storm is. And the other part of that is that's, the, that's what people watch. Um, a friend of mine was talking about the OJ commercial, uh, OJ trial years ago. And he was asked, he spoke to, to a Kiwanis or someplace, and he said, uh, he was asked, how come you keep spending all this time on the OJ trial. And he was this cable, uh, was a cable news guy. And he said, uh, well, it's because you people lie. You say you don't want that stuff. You're tired of it. And yet all of our ratings indicate, and they, when they do the instant ratings, and you can watch that needle, when you stop doing that, when you start to cover what the Congress did today or something like that, all of a sudden they're watching somebody else. Your viewership goes down. So in an age when the first business of the first priority of any business, news included, is to make a buck, they're going to watch that and they're going to give people what they want, and they uh, and that kind of resonated with that one audience. But it is interesting because we tend to sometimes, and we're doing it here too to a degree. Absolutely, tend to be overcritical of things, and yet okay, let's walk a mile in your shoes for a while. Yeah. And I mean, human beings love something salacious, at least for a time. Maybe they do tire of it eventually, but, you know, you drive by a car wreck and you, you crane your Rubber neck around. Neck, yeah. yeah, you look to see what's going on. So um, explain multiple to me, Jim. What, what, uh, what do we mean there? Well, John and I were discussing a little earlier that, the, that we all, reporters, tend to pick up the jargon yes. of the people, of, of the office holders and the police and the firemen. Uh, th that they use as part of their official duties. And <laughs> I noticed uh, when I started doing police coverage in 1970, for crying out loud, that uh, for the police, something isn't numerous or a lot of or anything else, it's a multiple. Uh, there were multiple victims, there were multiple suspects, there were multiple. Well, and I tried to use that in one or two of my stories because I heard it, and my editors would say, What's this multiple? What's the definition of multiple? Yeah, so I have in front of my in front of me here the um, New College Edition American Heritage Dictionary of the English Language, uh, page number. Oh, it's not numbered. Anyway, uh, multiple. A reading having pertaining to or consisting of more than one individual element, part, or other component. Manifold. Just more than one. More than one. Well, if you're talking about several suspects, then it's several or many or numerous suspects. Multiple means, and I go with my editors on this, multiple is absolutely meaningless except in more the minds of the people who use it as part of their official duty. So multiple could mean two or it could so, mean eight million. So the reporter's job is to translate jargon. Cuttings is one of those pieces of jargon that, that we used to, when I was in the uh, starting out, and this was years ago, the police would use this for the the term cuttings. It was a stabbing. Somebody had pulled a knife and stabbed somebody. And stabbing would seem to be the, the, the more common language, but uh, 
because the police use cuttings, more and more reporters are now using cuttings in their story. And that strikes me as being something you do with scissors in kindergarten. And it's also cutting hay in Nebraska. And cutting hay. Throughout cutting the season, three or, four, the, yeah. three or four cuttings of hay during the uh, season. The stabbing is something more A better common. description of what happened. Yeah. Anyway, so that's... That's one of my pets. So cutting, you think cutting started in the in the oh, police? In, it's, yeah, it's police jargon. And it's ha- police and prosecutor jargon. That's yeah. all. I mean, a till tap, for example. Well, somebody was robbed. Somebody walked in and stole money out of your cash register, but it's a till tap. Okay, well, but that doesn't quite capture what happened to this poor clerk. But the law punishes you much worse uh, for a robbery than it does for a till tap, which is reaching in and snatching something off. and taking off with it. So, so it's like the equivalent of strong-armed robbery? or you know, That's well, a different type of thing. All of those each have a, each of those has and while, a, 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 a description and a punishment for the act. And while we're, we're at it, when police arrest somebody, they arrest them, but they don't charge them. The charges come oh, from the, the, the county, from they, the prosecutor. And every day on the nightly news, we hear police charge so-and-so with yeah. whatever. Never no. happens. It does not it happen. Does not happen. It's not the job of the police to charge. It is their job to arrest on suspicion of. So, so you got to watch your language. There we go. You've got. To. I think we've covered a lot of ground here today. <laughs> I think so too. So I'm going to go to one of mine. I had jotted down um, post 9/11 busy TV screens, and this one I think I, it was pre 9/11. You think I, so? I think every time everybody looked at a TV screen, they were jamming more crap on it. But what happened was. In, in that same period of time, in the, in the 90s and, and since then, the technology has allowed them to do it to a degree that was not possible before. And for those of you that don't know what we mean by busy screens, if you turn on any news station, so you have the, what the action, what's happening in the frame of the picture, and then on the bottom you have at least one, maybe two or three crawls. tickers, crawls. It's a headline that says unveiled, for example. <laughs> right. and, and, but underneath that is a, is a ticker going by that's giving you the news in text, and that's running, that's running. And, and, and then you got the weather and the time of temperature on the top of the screen. Yeah. You, have, yeah, you might have a split screen on top of that. I mean, it's, all, it's very busy. Logo. The network logo is always there, too. So there's all this stuff on your screen. I agree with you. I, I think they're in cahoots with the uh, companies that manufacture televisions. And what they're trying to do is... Is cahoots it, jargon? Well, <laughs> is cahoots jargon, Fogarty? Could be. They're trying to get us all to buy 86-inch television sets to fit all the. uh, I think everybody should have an 80-inch television set. No one's got two television sets. No, no, no. But they have to have 80 television, 80-inch television sets. Fill up a wall with a TV. I I think that's that's been my dream since I was a small child. I thought you were going to get my Back to the Future reference. No one's got two television sets. That's right. Yeah. And who the hell is John F. Kennedy? Kennedy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, go to Enchantment Under the Sea and we'll find out. (laughs) Last comment from me. Well, you got, you got you go as long as you I, want. I, I can't let this go without uh, crediting my youngest son, whose name is Bennett. Uh, his pet peeve is he said he said when he becomes president, he will outlaw all buzzers and whistles at sporting events, especially the loud buzzers at basketball games. Of course, that has what to do with journalism? Nothing. But here's, it's, here's it's the deal. I agree with him, but I would not just ban it at sporting events. Sporting events, you can kind of excuse it. I would ban it at graduation ceremonies. There you go. Yeah, there is always the guy up in the corner, the the gym or the arena. Yeah. With the, with my the, kid's graduation is so important, I mean, far more important than yours. So I'm going to blast this air horn. 
and spray string uh, spray string on, on this. It's just, you know. That's and it doesn't matter how many times the master of ceremony says, please, please hold your applause. Nobody until all ever. the nobody holds their applause, it just does a not cheer work. here, a cheer yeah, there. I think uh, it doesn't yeah, work. No. I got one more. Um, I jotted down clickbait culture, and um, this goes back. You know, we had uh, Steve Jordan on late in 2019 on the podcast. Uh, in fact, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already. But um, Jordan, of course, was the man responsible for covering Warren Buffett probably as closely as anybody over the last decade. And um, I asked him a question about in the age of uh, news being consumed over the Internet and in the age of paywalls and subscriptions, if headline writing is more important than ever. Because if you have a certain headline designed to get somebody to click on a story and they click on it, but in order to read through the full story, there's a transactional element at that point. They have to buy the story or enter their subscription login information. Um, I feel like news services are doing a disservice to the reader if or the viewer if if they have this f- a phony clickbait headline more than ever i mean because now there's a trend it, it used to be that you know the headline was there you click on it and you read the story now oftentimes there's a transactional element to continue reading that story and i think more than ever i feel like um the onus is on the news service to to write an honest headline it's kind of like in in on uh, uh, the average television news show where they say coming up and they about three hours later and and then it's not in the next segment it may be at the end of the show and I may not want to stay up for the end of the show but all of a sudden I'm hooked and I realize they're doing this so the people will stay with it and yet I find that that's a pet peeve. It's abhorrent. And they're great at baiting. Like, they know exactly what the, the, the interesting stories that folks are going to want to see. And so they'll, they'll tease those. What's in your water that can kill you? <laughs> Mowing the lawn could be more deadly than you had ever known. You know, and you say, it's coming up. Right after the weather and the sports and perhaps a recipe from my bride. Journalism teachers, tell your students, let the news speak for itself. You don't have to glorify it. You don't have to raise it. You don't have to lower it. You have to report it disinterestedly. That's good. That's I think we're getting not uninterestedly, disinterestedly. I think we're getting farther away from that with every passing moment. Of course, though, that can all change with the. Soon to be released results of the uh, Iowa caucus. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm waiting. And I think we're all waiting here. It's a chance for redemption. Although there's something exciting about the uh, photo finish zero 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 tie, <laughs> and everybody claiming victory. Yeah, sure. Why not? Everybody wins. <laughs> I think I might need to write another book called Scoreless. <laughs> we give them all a ribbon. Yeah, you try to plug your book more. That, the Scoreless is a wonderful Yeah, book. I could write a sequel to Scoreless about great the, book. the debacle in Iowa. Yeah, I think so. Look up Scoreless. Well, on to uh, on to New Hampshire, and we'll uh, we'll see where we we get to there. And we will we're going to try to make a I don't know if a habit is the right word, but we're going to do one of these pet peeves ep- episodes every so often because I think um, I think whenever Fogarty gets sufficiently irritated, we, yeah, it doesn't time take to do much. It. No, it doesn't Pres- take much you know. at all. Prescott and I have been yeah. priming Fogarty for about ten days now, every every day, ever so gently, just to make sure that all of his favorite pet peeves are. Fresh in his mind, and so, uh, including addictive telescopic syndrome. Thank you. Which um, uh, penicillin, I think, doesn't even treat it. You have to. No. You have to eliminate it from your lexicon. 
It's one of the things that makes antibiotics so outdated nowadays. All right. Well, that's it for uh, Pet Peeves. Thanks for listening, and uh, be sure to tune in next time. And also, thanks to my guests, Jim Fogarty and John Prescott, for joining me. Good night. Good night.